So if you got your Bible, say, I got it. If you got your Bible, say, I'm sorry. No, it's all right. It's, it's on your phone. Download the app. Here we go. John chapter 20 and verse 30 and 31. As you turn to John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, let me kind of set the precedence. There are 21 chapters in the book of John. John is one of the four Gospels. What that means is the first four books of the New Testament. They are the life and stories and teachings of Jesus Christ. In those books, they are from those disciples of his, except for uh, the book of Luke, who, uh, who was a disciple of uh, Paul. And so, uh, but Luke gave all the accounts as it was given to him. And so what we see is these recordings of what Jesus did. When John gets to chapter 20, he's closing out his book. He leaves one more chapter to talk uh, literally about the, the resurrection process. But um, in his book, he lines out what Jesus was doing. And verse, excuse me, verse 30 of chapter 20 kind of summarizes what all the previous chapters were about. So let's look at that verse. It says in verse 30... Of John 20, it says, And Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. He, so, so Jesus did a lot of crazy miracle stuff, but they weren't, I'm not recording them, I'm recording these, continuing on verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Father, I pray you bless the word today. May it bring life to us. And Lord God, may we take on your divine nature in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. So when you look at the word miracles or miraculous things in Scripture, in the New Testament, they use four words to talk about the different types of miracles. The first word that they'll use is you'll see the word wonders, signs and wonders. And what a wonder is, it conveys something unusual or extraordinary. You'll see it on the screen. It conveys something unusual, extraordinary. There we go. And not there. All right, so it'll convey the things that are unusual, like there's no way that could happen. That's pretty cool. That's pretty neat. It's a wonder. It'll also use the term in the New Testament, powers. And that conveys spiritual or supernatural energy, that the power of God. So you'll hear some people talk about the power of God was just flowing through me, man. It was like lightning. That's what they're talking about, that miraculous power of God touching their life. And then there's a third term that is used a lot, and that is a paradox, or not quite as much, let's say it like that. And that's a contradiction, something that uh, uh, contradicts the natural order of things. Jesus walking on the water. That was a, literally, that was a, a paradox. There we go. It's a paradox. And then the last piece, and it's what John is talking about here, is a sign. And so John starts in that verse 30 by saying, many miraculous signs. And a sign is something that has a greater meaning uh, behind the action. And so the miracle was cool, but there's something else that it's pointing to. There's some other things that it's pointing to. So let's look back at verse 30, and it says this, and Jesus did a lot of miraculous signs. He did these miracles that have something embedded in them, something that was transpiring that's so much more than just the miracle that he did. But these were written down so that, uh, so that you would know that Jesus, so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that by believing this, by believing in the signs, by grabbing the signs, that you may have his life. Now let me break down what that's talking about. That you may have his life. It's not talking about that you may be alive, that your heart's beating, boom, 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 that your brain activity is happening. It's not talking about the life of an animal or a human. It's talking about something totally different. In the Greek here, it's, this word is talking about the very nature and characteristic of God himself. 
that you would have that by believing in these miracles, by understanding the undercurrents of what was happening here, that you, by believing in that, would take on his life, his nature, his divine nature, the way he does things. I hope you understand that you and I have a totally different nature than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What God did was he sent his son, Jesus, God, and came down into the form of a man. And now God's nature, his characteristics, when he looks at it, you see, when we look at it, we see black. When he looks at it, he sees gold. His nature, what is different about him than from us? We are all born with a sin nature. We look at it one way. We get mad. We respond this way. We think it ought to be like this. We're selfish. We're conceited. We're con- consumed with our own self-worth and our own self-being. We're hurtful. We get hurt. God's not like that. His nature is totally different. So the nature of God came down into a man. Jesus Christ, God, came down into the form of a man, and he dwelt amongst us, and he did miracles. And in the midst of those miracles, John's saying, listen, I want to tell you about the signs. He did some things that have some undercurrents that are about his nature, and that if you will believe in those signs and those undercurrents, then guess what? You'll become like him. And so miracles are the result of you and I being like him, not by based on us praying more or being holier or not being holy. It's about the nature of God flowing through us. So when God came to earth, he couldn't help but do miracles because his nature is that of miracles. Are you with me? Say yes. And so John is laying this out and saying, listen, if you everything that I brought you, I, there's a lot of miracles I could have told you about, but I've laid out seven miraculous signs in my book so that you could see God at work and then you can see the secret things that are happening outside of just the loaves and fish, outside of Jesus walking on water or the blind or the lame man walking. There was something much more happening than just that miracle. And if you can grasp the nature of God in those processes, then you can believe in that, you can become that, and you can then do what Jesus did. See, it's more important about what you and I are becoming than what we're doing. Did you get that? It's more important that we're becoming like him than we are doing for him. Many of you have been in ministry before and you burned out because you were so busy doing for him that you stopped becoming like him. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at one of, he, he, he wrote down seven, uh, seven signs, miraculous signs in the book of John. I'll, I'll just refer to them real quick. He started with the water where Jesus turned the water into wine. He then went on to the nobleman's son that was healed. His third sign that he talked about that Jesus did, the miraculous sign, was the healing at the pool of Bethesda with the lame man. The fourth sign is the feeding of the 5,000 men, and we're actually going to talk about that one today. The fifth one was Jesus walking on water. The sixth one, the healing of the blind man. And the seventh one, Lazarus being raised from the dead. And really, those seven signs, those miraculous signs, sum up the book of John. Now, he talks about, you know, uh, early, early in Jesus' life, and he talks about some of the other pieces. But this really is the summation of this book that God has given us, this gospel. And so as we do this, let's kind of extract one of these and kind of point that one out today. And let's start with the feeding of the 5,000. That's found in John chapter 6, if you'll turn there with me. And and the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miraculous thing that all four gospels record. So when Matthew's writing his book, God's like, don't you forget. Don't you forget. Put that one in there. Okay, yes, Lord. When John's writing his, hey, put that one in there. That was It's the only miraculous sign, the thing that Jesus did that's recorded miraculously in all four of the Gospels. So I would say God thought it was pretty important, and I think we need to study it and find out the nature of God at work in this miracle. So if you got your Bibles, we'll turn to John chapter 6, verse 1 through 15. A lot of scriptures, but you're up for it. It says in uh, verse 1, 
Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. So he's already doing these other signs, and so they followed him as a result. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. Who did he sit down with? His disciples. How many were there? Twelve. Good job. It says, and the Jewish Passover feast was near. In verse 5, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered, eight months wages. Oh, my God. Would not be enough bread for each of these to even have a bite. What's wrong with you, Jesus? Verse 8. Jesus didn't even respond. Verse 8. After this... Uh, excuse me, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Uh, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish, small fish, uh, but how far will they go amongst so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down. It was about 5,000 of them. The reason why they uh, counted the men, because they believed that there probably were 10,000 or so bodies total once you had their wives and their children and whatever, whoever else was following. But they counted the men that particular day. Sometimes they did that in Jewish customs. And so there was about five thousand men that they counted right there so there's probably a good ten thousand people so moving on verse 11 then jesus took the loaves gave thanks distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted and he did the same with the fish when they had all had enough to eat he said to the disciples gather the pieces that are left over let nothing be wasted so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of uh, of the five uh, barley loaves left over by those who had eaten Verse 14, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So as we jump into this, let's kind of break down some of these key pieces. It starts off where Jesus takes his disciples. Now, his disciples had been out door-to-door ministry up until this point. He'd sent them out two by two. They'd been doing miracles. You can read that in some of the other gospels. And so they came to Jesus, and they're really kind of tired, and they're ready kind of to get on vacation. In fact, Jesus promised them, hey, let's go on vacation. As they go to walk towards the lake, the people start coming. Jesus already sits his disciples down. And I want to point this out. Jesus sets his 12 disciples beside him, and he He's talking to them and ministering to them as the people begin to come. And the reason why I want to point this sign out in the midst of this miraculous thing that's about to happen is because Jesus always always validated others to minister beside him. What we do so many times in our culture is the great man or woman of God and we elevate them and they never share the ministry with anybody else. And we think if we can just get to the man of God or the woman of God, something supernatural will happen. But Jesus nullifies that concept when he not only sends them out two by two to do ministry, but he sets them beside him, not below him, not over him, but beside him and says, come on, let's minister together. This is the real working of what a body of Christ should look like there should be a team of folks who can minister there should be an entire congregation who can minister jesus doesn't see you as lowly and that you can't minister there's not the ministers and then the people there's not those who are anointed and those who are not that's the breakdown of our season and our culture in which we live in and i'll have you know that the same spirit that rose christ from the dead dwells in you quickens your mortal bodies and greater works than what jesus did you and i should be doing so one of the main reasons we 
we don't have miracles, it's because we're waiting for the man of God or the man upstairs to do it. When he said, look, I've seated you with me in heavenly places beside me. See the need, meet the need, minister to the need. Come on, people. This is our calling and what we're supposed to be doing. So as we jump in to an entire month of miracles, let's stop waiting for someone to come give it to us and let's be the miracle to the person down the street, to the person next door, to the person in the cubicle next to us and know that the same power of God dwells in us. Are you with me? Say yes. And so then as he sits them down, it says this, and he says, and he sees the crowd coming. He saw the crowd. I think that's hilarious. There are 12 of them, and at least 10,000 people are walking up the street. They're not in New York City. Honk, honk, ee, ee. There's not all those noises. They're out in the country. They're out in Galilee. There's nothing out there. 10,000 people come into your podunk, one, one horse town. You know when they walk up. They're walking down the street. They're talking. Kids are screaming, ah! It's not that Jesus saw, oh my, oh, oh, I didn't see him coming. Wow, he snuck up on me. (laughs) That's not what it's talking about. This word saw in the Greek, he saw down through them. He looked into them. He recognized their need. And guess what was the first thing he recognized about these people? They needed what? Food. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? Come on, we're talking about the signs of miracles. We're talking about pointing towards something more than just the loaves and the fishes. And that they all had their bellies filled. There were some things happening that caused those miracles to happen. There were some undercurrents that created those miracles. And I believe, first and foremost, Jesus saw the need, the practical need of the people. Because he loved them. Because he was willing to take responsibility for their needs. He took responsibility. I told the first service, uh, never forget in 1982, <clears throat> there was this uh, plane crash in the Potomac River, uh, Air, Air Florida Flight 90, January 13th. It was just before my birthday, and I, I was just a kid, and I'd come home from school, and it was all over the news. And what had happened was, uh, you know, right there in Washington, D.C., the plane uh, was taken off, and, and it had uh, something like uh, 70 something, 76 passengers, something like that. And they basically, they, they didn't de-ice the plane properly, and they were in a hurry. And so the plane took off, and it only got to about 360 feet, uh, well below the 1,000 feet that they would need to be able to safely bail out. And, and as a result, the plane just started dropping to the ground. They clipped the bridge there at the Potomac and landed in the ice-covered water, not just chunks of ice it was frozen broke through the frozenness of that river and everybody died except for five or six people and the scene as i got home from school that was all over the tv were these people holding on to the tail the tail of the planes just sticking up out of the water and they're holding on and people have now gathered around the banks one guy gets in the water he goes to swim out and he he starts getting hyperthermia and he has to swim back and everyone's just sitting there watching and and all the because the, the snow was so bad that they all the Emergency crews couldn't get to the people in the crash because all the interstates were blocked with, with cars. Just it was a traffic jam everywhere. And, and, the, and the boats up the river that were trying to get to them were having to crack through the ice to get through them. So everything was delayed. And as the live television broadcast is there, as five or six people are holding on to the tail of this crashed airplane, everything's under the water except this tail. And they're holding on. And one would all of a sudden dip under the water and couldn't hold and dead. And we were sitting there going, no, 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 don't, don't hold on, hold on. 
And what was 60 seconds turned to 5, 6, 8, 10, 20 minutes. And just this whole thing played out in front of you live. And then all of a sudden they finally got a helicopter as there's about three or four people left holding on. And people on the, everyone's on the things screaming and yelling, hold on, hold on. And the helicopter comes and it has this little makeshift rope hanging down. And it's got this little loop thing at the end of it. And they put the first little lady in it. And you can tell she's weak. She's already starting to have hypothermia real bad. Her, her, her hands are all curled up like that. And she puts her arm through it. And that's all she can get. And they start trying to pick her up and bring her over to the, to the bank. And it's only about a, about 100 yards between, not, not even that, maybe 60 yards between the bank and the crashed people in the, in the river. And, and everybody's like, yeah, yes. And then all of a sudden she slips out of it and goes under the water. And all of a sudden you see this guy named Lenny. I think it's Kratz, something Kratz. And he throws off his clothes like this. He's just in his, in his you know, in his undergarments. Not, not his underwear, but his jacket and stuff. And he dives in. He starts swimming. Everybody's like, no, you're going to die. And he gets out there right as she comes up and then goes back under. And he grabs her. And he pulls her out like that. And he starts trying to swim back. And he can hardly make it back. And everyone starts getting like a little chain. And they get out to him. And they pull him in and pull her. And, and we're, I'm sitting there. By this time, my mom's coming home. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I'm going crazy. And the reason why, because in that moment the thousands of people standing around one person took responsibility for that person's well-being one person said i'll put my life in jeopardy to save that life and here's the breakdown why we don't see miracles because nobody wants to put themselves in jeopardy to help somebody else that's the breakdown and the moment jesus sees them he takes responsibility i'll do it i'll feed them and he's trying to get these underlings these disciples of his to the place where they live the way he lives so he turns to philip and he says, Philip, how are we going to feed these guys? The reason why he asked Philip, because Philip's from the, that area. That's the place he grew up. So there's probably some uncles and some cousins in, in that crowd coming his way. He's probably got some friends that got restaurants and things like that. So Jesus says, Philip, how are we going to feed all these people? Oh, and Philip has the word of the Lord. It can't be done. In fact, there's attitude in it. You can tell with the exclamation mark. He's like, hold up. You crazy. Have you lost your mind? Eight months' wages wouldn't even give everybody a cracker. It's not going to happen. Jesus, like, Philip, here's your chance, buddy. Here's the chance for a miracle. Take on my DNA. Come on, here's your chance. How are we going to feed them? <laughs> oh my God. I can't believe you would even ask that. Lordain, no way I'm going to forgive her. Do you know what she did? It ain't going to happen. And she can just die and burn in hell after what she did to me. Jesus like, okay. He doesn't even fight with Philip. How many times you and I have the chance to be a part of the miracle and we go through the 16 reasons why it can't happen? That's what Philip's doing. There's no way. Do you, there, did you see how many people are coming? Do, it's already... I mean, even Taco Bell has shut down. <clears throat> I mean, even the dope smokers have got nowhere to eat. I mean, come on, Jesus, this is, it's not going to happen. It, it, it's not going to happen. And then I love little Andrew. He's like, uh, well, I, was, I found this little dude. He has, you know, it's probably a little vendor, you know, a little kid. He's, got, he's selling his last bit of bread, barley loaves. And so I was going to buy that for us. He's got, you know, these five little loaves and a couple of fish. And, uh, but, you know, we can't do anything with that, right? He's got a little bit more faith. A little bit more God DNA, like, um, maybe this? Maybe this? And Jesus says, give it to me. If you read one of the other Gospels, Jesus then tells them, sit all the people down. He says it here too. Sit them all down. So they go through, hey, sit down. Hey, y'all need to sit down. Have you ever tried to sit down 5,000 Jewish men? 
Just leave it at that right there. The Bible didn't call him stiff neck for, for any. Hey, y'all need to sit down. Hey, can y'all sit down? You can sit. And here's the best part about it. They sat down. That's crazy. It's unbelievable. And then Jesus takes the bread. He blesses it. And then guess what he does? He breaks it. Can I tell you something? Every one of the people who sat down received a miracle. Do you know why people don't receive miracles? Because they won't surrender to authority. I have learned to say, look, even if they're bad authority, they're an authority. God bless it. And I've seen miracles in my life because I've just surrendered to authority. I mean, they could have been like, I don't know who you think you are. I'm here to see Jesus. Not you. Like, you ain't even have enough faith to get us fed. So shut your face up. They could have done that. They're like, Philip said, sit down too. Okay, we'll sit down. They understood something in that moment. The supernatural has more components than just you need to pray more and you need to not sin and you need to get a revelation of faith. We see that literally John is saying, listen, I want you to have the nature and character of your God. And so I didn't just tell you the miracle. I'm, I, I'm going to show you the signs that have implication of all these other pieces that literally led to the miracle. And so he says, sit them down and they sit down. And then he takes that bread and he breaks it. And he begins to hand it out to him and says, now you go hand it out to him. I imagine Peter goes, oh, this is not going to take long. Here, bro. <laughs> oh, wow. Here you go, man. <laughs> People are catching him. <laughs> They're just flying past him. This miracle is happening not just because Jesus is there, but because there are dynamics that work for the supernatural, and that comes to places like authority, submission. It comes to places like faith and trusting and taking on his DNA and his characteristics. looks so much more different than you and I. Because I'm going to tell you, the moment he handed me one, I'd be like, whatever, here. And I'd have walked off. It's not going to happen. It's one little loaf. I mean, it's already been broken. What's it going to do? You, you know, had five and now we got ten pieces. I mean, two guys aren't even getting to hand anything out. Probably Judas and Thomas. Anyway, and so he's handing them out, you know, and things are happening. It's crazy. Can you imagine that moment as you're handing it out? It's like, oh, oh, it's unbelievable. But I want to back you up to the moment that God takes, Jesus takes that bread and he breaks it. I believe the reason why you and I don't see miracles is because we won't allow him to break us. See, there's a brokenness that has to happen for multiplication to happen. See, the supernatural is more in the brokenness than it is in the wholeness. See, you and I are trying to maintain our character. I mean, excuse me, our dignity, our rights. That's my right. He shouldn't have done that. And so I'm a, I have a right to treat him the way I treat him because he did this back in the day. We're trying to hold on to what we think is our identity, what we think is important to us. And Jesus is saying, if you just come get in my hands... I'll break you. I'll break off the selfish ambition. I'll break off the, the, the bitterness. I'll break off the uh, fear that you won't have enough if you give. To, I'll break all that off. And as I break it, it'll become miraculous in front of you. When I was, years ago in ministry, I was, I just went into ministry because I wanted to love people. Or somewhere in the process of that, by some people's standards, I became very successful. And people were like, yeah, yeah. 
why aren't you on TV? And next thing you know, I'm on TV. You ought to be on a radio broadcast. Next thing I'm on that and traveling the world. And somewhere in that process, what was pure and genuine turned into selfish and profitable. And then I remember years into that process, the rug was pulled out from under me. The Lord did it. I didn't sin. I didn't commit adultery on my wife. didn't steal the money. The Lord just pulled it out from under me. And I found myself in a broken state. And at first I whined and I cried and I was mad at God. You broke me. You took away from me the things that you gave me. And then all of a sudden in the midst of that I realized he's multiplying me. Miracles are happening in my brokenness. The supernatural comes from our brokenness for he resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble. Listen, some of you are complaining about the brokenness that you're going through. This is miraculous. This is good because he's doing miracles in our brokenness and our supernatural is happening because we said, God, I, don't, I can't do it anymore. I can't pretend anymore. I can't act the game anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And he was, I'm just broken. I'm just broken. And Jesus is the one breaking you and handing you out. And you're like, this just, it's just, uh, everybody's like looking at me. Yes, because they're going, oh my God, it keeps growing. Because he continues to break us so that he can do miracles through us. See, it's more important than what he's doing in us than what he's doing through us. Break me so that you can use me. This is the broken piece that everyone keeps missing. It's not about you becoming more holy. It's about you and I being broken from our nature that's so gross and so just us and so stinky and so aggravating, so embarrassing, and we try to hide it and pretend it's not there. But last, last month, but if we'll just be real and authentic, then he can break that. He can put it in his hands and he can break it. And then in that brokenness, supernatural things start happening. And then we look up one day and go, it's a miracle. Everything's a miracle. It's unbelievable. If we keep looking as they pass all this bread out, that comes to the end of that. And Jesus says, now pick up everything that's left over. And my friend, I want you to understand something what was left over 12 baskets they started with five loaves and ended up with 12 baskets not 12 cups not 12 book bags 12 baskets and in biblical times those baskets stood close to four feet tall three feet or so 12 baskets why 12 one for each of those who were willing to go out in the midst of everybody and bring the brokenness to them and bring love to them and heal them and in that let me tell you something if you allow God to use you and you'll take responsibility for hurting people he will make sure that your needs are cared for as well people missed it if I give this last hundred dollars if I give it I won't have anything left God says if you give it I'll fill your basket up so far that you'll have more than you ever thought about having before I was just with a friend of mine who's a great businessman and he and I were talking and he said pastor my business was in what we had one client not one client had told us at the end of the month we're, we're, we're removing you we're not going to use you anymore and he said and we didn't know what to do but we had one we had $500 we had $500 and we said we got we, maybe we market ourselves and see if we can pick up a client so they, so they did the marketing just 25 miles away from them only to people 25 miles away from them they got two, one or two little calls nothing they got one call it was 50 miles away from them they still don't even know 
how they found him. 50 miles away, they became their client. That client is now twice as much as what the client before was doing, all because they took, and they said they sat there over the $500, and they prayed. They said, oh, God, somehow you got to multiply the 500. Lord, we're going to do what we know to do, and we're asking you to do something supernatural. And they took that little bit that they had, and they gave it, and as a result, bam, they've got their biggest client in the history of their business, all because if you will let go of what you got in your hand, then you can receive what God wants to give. But as long as we hold tight, it's my son, you can't have him. It's my money, you can't have it. Then as a result, what do you become? You become stingy and old, and you continue in the same nature that you've always had. And we look up one day, and you've been saved 40 years, and you haven't made one disciple. Nobody likes you. You're grumpy, and you're old, and you're mean, all because you refuse to allow Jesus to break you to the place that you take on his nature and his characteristics. And it doesn't matter anymore if I make the platform. It doesn't matter if I sing a song in front of everybody. I just want to do what he's called me to do. This person standing here, I'll minister to them. Oh, that one's standing. I'll minister to them. Until one day you look up and you got more in your basket than you can even deal with. This is how the miracles work. And this is what we've lost, and this is what we've forgotten, and this is what people have confused us about. Then from there, when the people see this, they go crazy, and they want to make him. He's the prophet that's been prophesied, and they want to make him king. And what does Jesus do? Come, make me king. No, he refuses it. In fact, he runs to the mountains. Never yield to the desires of good-intended people but rather to the desires of God. Some of you are living something in your life that's miserable because somebody with good intentions told you this is what you ought to do. Because you had a little success back in the day doing something, now you think that's what has to happen. And you refuse to allow the brokenness of God to keep happening in your life because now you've gotten to a platform and you don't want to lose your platform. It's the same reason they killed Jesus the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the high priest said, we must not allow him to continue lest we lose our position with the Romans. We have to kill him or either they will turn their attention to him and he will be the spiritual leader and we won't anymore. They were scared of losing their position. Listen, whatever God has brought you to, be careful that you don't hold it tighter than you hold him. It's more important what I'm becoming than what I'm doing. I want his nature and his characteristics. And I bring to you these seven miraculous signs, John says, that you may believe in him. And that by believing in him, by believing in these signs, you can take on the very nature and characteristics that you may have his life, his divine flow in your body flowing through you to where people say, how are you smiling right now? We just all got laid off and you're standing there because I know my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. In fact, I've ministered to all of you guys as much as I knew how to and this is what it is and so I must be sent to the next place so that I can get all that whole that whole department say so god bless you god's in it because i know that he'll never leave me or forsake me he's never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread and i'm his and i'm becoming more like him each and every day we should grow old and have more men and women around us that are sitting at our feet saying, teach me the ways of the Lord. We should be moving in as much miraculous power in our 60s and 70s as we did in our teens and our 20s. Come on now. We need to come alive again to the nature of Christ and stop worrying about position. Stop worrying about who gets the credit and allow God to break us and hand us out. Lord, take me. Use me. This should be the cry and prayer of every person in this room in Jesus' name. And it says this. 
Jesus removed himself. And the reason why he removed himself is because salvation could not come through him being presented as king. It had to become through him being dead on a cross. He had to die then to be able to be presented to royalty. And so there are no shortcuts in the miraculous plans of God. And that's why it's scary when we see some of you younger guys trying to take on the role of a king when really it's a little too soon. And I'm a testimony of that. When you don't know your purpose, you'll let others choose one for you. Jesus says, you're not making me king. I got to go to the cross. (laughs) He's out. Can you imagine? Like, where'd he go? Is that him climbing that mountain? Wow, he does that miraculously. I want you to, five takeaways today. Write these down. These will help you. Five takeaways. Number one, miracles are the result of his divine nature. Not the result that you prayed more than everybody else. Not because you sin less than everybody else. Not because you go to church more than everybody else or you tithe more than everybody else. The miraculous is his nature meeting the problems of earth. And he desires that his nature lives and abides in us and that we become like him. That's why we're called Christians. Little Christ. We're supposed to look like him, act like him, and talk like him. The second takeaway I'd like you to take home today is that responsible love initiates the supernatural. Responsible love initiates the supernatural. Oh, if I could just get the pastor to come to our family reunion and pray for my my nephew. You know, he's gay. He's gay. If you just pray for him, pastor, maybe he'll be all right. That's the problem. You won't take responsibility for what's yours. If you take responsibility for them, God will give you a download for them. Realize what they're hurting because of and why they've made the choices they've made. And God will give you wisdom and grace and mercy and the supernatural come through you. You don't have to go get the man of God. You are the man of God. You are the woman of God. Right? You got to get this. Otherwise, we're going to be a dysfunctional church. Waiting for the pastor to get here. Baby, don't die. The pastor's driving in. Don't die. Raise that sucker from the dead. St. Power of God lives in you. Take responsibility. Wait on me. I'm just like you. I put my pants on one, one leg at a time. I don't float into them. <laughs> I get mad on 67 and 35 just like you do. I have to repent as much as you do. Come on. I'm telling you. I get embarrassed in my reactions just like you do. Oh, my Jesus. Thank God I got a prayer language. Here's the third takeaway that I'd give you, and that is what little you have can become a miracle for many. You say, oh, I can't. I don't have the time. I have the time to do that. What little you have can become something supernatural for so many if you'll sacrifice it, if you'll give it away. That little boy was like, I'll give it to you. And Jesus took what little that little boy had, what little bit the the disciples could come up with, and he multiplied it. Every effort, he will multiply it. Every phone call that you answer when you're exhausted, like, oh, my God, here they call again. Ah, I just need to listen to the podcast. Sheesh. Hello? Oh, hey. Yeah, God bless you. 
Oh, praise the Lord. Every little bit you give, God will multiply it into something miraculous. I'm just telling you, it's what he does. Here's the fourth piece that I would teach you from this sign, miraculous sign, and that is God has to break us to use us miraculously. I'm serious. The person who's just so broken, say, Lord, if you can use anything, you can use me. I fear, I do, I get nervous around people who think they have it all figured out. Makes me nervous. I've been in some of the deepest movements of God, and I'm still trying to figure him out. Come on now. I've been married 23 years. I have no idea what she's talking about sometimes. (laughs) Need a moment? (laughs) Seriously. Now, Now connect that to Jesus Christ, whose ways are higher than our ways. The last piece that I would have you take away is that in sacrifice, our needs will be cared for as well. You give that away, he'll take care of you too. So I was expecting it right now. In fact, there became a doctrine in the 80s and the 90s that if I gave a Honda Accord, God would then give me a Mercedes. And they kind of took this a little bit out of context. Their intentions were good, and the principle almost is correct. The problem with that statement or that principle is that it's now moved over into I give to get instead I just give to give. What I'm telling you is that God will owe no man. He will not owe any one of us. He will not be, the scripture said, he will not be indebted to you. If you give, he will make sure that he takes care of you. That's his business. How he does it, when he does it, why he does it, at the timing that he does that's his business, not ours. We don't give, like, where's my Mercedes? I gave that car. Up yours and I'm out. That's what happened with that teaching is people say, well, I gave and it didn't happen. I prayed they didn't get healed. And so as we dive into this topic about miracles, next week, the week thereafter, we'll talk about things like, so why didn't it happen when I prayed? What is God's desire for these things? How can I take on more of his characteristics and be more like him? Would you stand with me all across the room? You guys have been magnificent today. And I love you so deeply and so dearly. I'm all right. I want you just to close your eyes and bow your heads with me for just a moment. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to take this message into your heart. Would you do that just right where you stand? Close your eyes. And I want you to ask yourself, Lord, I want to move in the supernatural. I want to see miraculous signs. What was this pointing to in this passage that I can learn from about your DNA, Jesus? I tell you right now, I'd have been a much, I have no shame for Philip. I find myself going through the seven reasons why God can't do what he wants to do. I do it all the time. I'm pretty sure that had I been Jesus and they wanted to make me king, and I could have avoided the cross, I probably would have taken that out right then. See, there's still so much of Adam and Cain still left in Adam and Cain. So I don't have any judgment for anybody else. But I would say that I'm on a journey to become like him. I recognize many of the pieces that are still like me that aren't his DNA. 
I recognize that I don't see miracles, not because he's not a miracle worker, but because, because I still have so much of me in the way. And so I don't see what he sees and understand the way he understands it. I don't value it the way he values it. I think I would have saw 10,000 people walking at me and would have tried to figure out how to get them dismissed quicker so I didn't have to feed them. I think I'm quick to try to push off responsibility sometimes instead of take responsibility for those who have needs. I think I worry about if he'll really provide for me if I go all the way. I think I do. I think I worry about that. I'm still trying to become like him. And I would imagine you are too. So right where you stand, if you would just make a, we call it like this, a fresh altar. Those of you who don't have a strong Christian background, that just simply means create a space right there where you and God can talk. Where you can just be honest and real. Forget about who's standing next to you or sitting behind you. And you just kind of lose yourself in your heart and your mind and talk to your God for a moment. As you do that, you're doing your best to say, Lord, I, I just, I want to become more like you. I want to give a call now for those of you that say, I'm not a Christian. I'm not, Pastor. I've got to be honest. If I died today, I wouldn't go to heaven. I'm pretty sure of it. Maybe you would say, I used to be a Christian, but I walked away from the Lord. Some things happened in my life. I don't know. I just got busy. I got whatever. But I'm positive if I died today in a car accident, and I stood before Jesus Christ, he wouldn't welcome me. He'd have great disappointment. He'd say to me, why didn't you listen? Why didn't you respond to me? I tried to love you the best I could, but you kept pushing me away. Friend, don't be that person today. Respond to the Lord today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're away from God, either you've never been a Christian or you're away from him and you want to come home, I'd like to pray with you to come back to the Lord. I'd like to bring you back into a relationship with the living God. I'd like to introduce you for the first time. I'd like you to know that you can be best friends with Jesus Christ. He'll talk to you, speak to you. You and I, you say, well, what's my part? Your part's just to surrender yourself. Just to say, I need you, Jesus. I want you, Jesus. Forgive me, Jesus. That's your part. Everything else, the heavy lifting was done on a cross some 2,000 years ago. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if I'm speaking to you right now, the Lord's tugging at your heart, saying you're away from me and I want you back. Or you've never known me and I want to know you. If that's you and God's dealing with your heart, would you let me pray with you? Would you be bold and courageous enough to admit it by lifting your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. I'm away from God. I want to come home. If that's you, lift your hand. God bless you, sweetheart. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir, for your honesty. Appreciate you, sir. Great man right there. Anybody? Yes, sir. God bless you, buddy. Anybody else? Pray for me, pal. I'll give you about five seconds. I'm not going to belabor it. This is not, you know, notch on my belt. I just, I just don't want you to leave here not knowing that you're right with God, the peace that comes with the right relationship. Anybody else? Three, four, three seconds love. You say, Pastor, pray for me. God bless you, sweetheart. Anybody else? Amen. You can put your hands down. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of repentance. All I ask is that you'd mean it with all of your heart. And I'm, I'm confident that he's faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. Would you say it like this? Say, Jesus, come out loud. Jesus, today I surrender my life. I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. Break me in your hands. I belong to you. Wash away the sin, the guilt, and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. And I promise to serve you all the days of my life. Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior. It's your name I pray.